0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.
1: Hi, everyone. Jay Barden Mitchell here. Just wanted to let you know to stick around after the episode to hear a trailer for a podcast we really enjoy called 13. The 13 podcast produces atmospheric spooky stories released, you may have guessed, on the 13th of the month. They're really cool, long-form stories with a lot of effects work and music, and like Derelict, the idea is that it's um, like listening to the audio from a movie. In this case, a scary movie. Haunted houses, ghosts, strange apparitions, but still character-driven with a real emotional center, I would say, which is not easy to pull off. If you like the trailer, check out the show by searching for 13 on your fave platform. Just make sure you spell out the word and don't use the number when searching. Hope you dig the trailer. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. Jay Barton Mitchell here with a couple of updates. First off, wanted to let you know, if you haven't heard from one of our other sources, that season two of Derelict is currently in production and new episodes will start dropping sometime this fall. I think it's an even more intense season than the first and that we've really raised the bar on everything we're doing over here. So we're getting close. Stay tuned for more info dropping soon about the upcoming season. The other thing I wanted to mention is our new derelict premium experience through the platform Supercast, which we've moved to in lieu of Patreon. Supercast is just a better fit for the show as a podcast, and it lets us offer subscribers a more user-friendly experience, as well as a lot of new subscriber-exclusive content, like early access to ad-free episodes, of course, commentary episodes on Season 1 with the cast and crew, cast interviews, an invite to our new Discord server, as well as... um, codes you can use on our new merch store for subscriber discounts, as well as subscriber exclusive merchandise. So if you're still supporting us on Patreon, thank you, by the way, we can't do it without you, or would like to start supporting the show, now is the time to switch over to Supercast and Derelict Premium, which you can find in the episode notes below, or by going to derelict.supercast.com. Finally, in building up to the release of Derelict Season 2, we're going to start sharing a few other shows with you that uh, we're personally fans of and think that you might enjoy while waiting for the new episodes of Derelict. The first is the multiple award-winning Leviathan Chronicles, which we're going to play the first episode for you. It's another underwater sci-fi epic that really set the standard for immersive audio experiences and um, I would say revitalized the genre. In fact, the first episode you're gonna hear here is 15 years old, so it's a remarkably influential and long-lasting show that's had two spinoffs. If you're unaware of it, the original story follows a group of present-day immortal human beings living in a hidden underwater city called Leviathan. When one group of the immortals wants to rejoin humanity on the surface, a civil war breaks out between the factions and it's being monitored by a secret faction of the CIA. It's really cool stuff. It's been called James Bond on a Lord of the Rings scale. We think you'll dig it. Check it out. And if you do, visit the show at leviathanchronicles.com or find their social media online. And of course, stay tuned for new announcements about Derelict season two, coming to headphones near you very soon. Thanks a lot, guys. The
2: Leviathan Chronicles. Season one, The Director's Cut. Chapter one, Evil Undertow. The Philippine Sea. Poseidon raged as surges of black waves pummeled each other into a violent froth. It was just past midnight, almost six years ago, and the empty stretch of sea seemed desolate, despite the cacophony of the thunderstorm that rained into the ocean. 30-foot waves smashed into each other with dizzying force as shrieking winds ripped any trace of warmth from the air. But deep under the ocean, very deep, an unusual submarine and its crew were isolated from the violence on the surface. However, the nerves of every crewman aboard were just as frayed as if the ship were being thrown by the waves far above them. The vessel was called Hai Shi. It had departed from Quindao, China, only three weeks ago, but most of the crew couldn't wait to see their home port again soon enough. The ship was unusual for many reasons, but the most predominant was its enormous size. The ship had three distinct components. The largest was its ballast. Constructed of a sponge-like material, it was over a thousand feet in length and several hundred feet tall. Its egg-like shape tended to elongate as the ship dove deeper. Beneath the ballast, connected by a set of locking braces, was the actual ship. It was slender and cylindrical, but being less than 200 feet long seemed utterly dwarfed by the ballast above it. Four turbines that resembled oversized aircraft engines were attached in an X configuration at the bow, and another four in the ship's stern. At the very back of the ship, there were two large induction jets that were designed to push water out at high speed as a means of propulsion. Underneath the actual ship was its third component, a large metallic structure that looked like the keel of a modern sailing vessel. It was attached to the high 10 chi through a complex web of scaffolding. The ship was far too deep to discern any type of color, but if it were closer to the surface, it would have appeared very dark gray. But its smooth surface was highly reflective, and though it was the smallest of the three components, it seemed to anchor the entire vessel. Within the bows of the Hai Shi, Lieutenant Zen Shun walked down the narrow hall in the stern of the ship. His gait was quick and nervous. Normally, the ambient hum of the electrical equipment that enveloped the submarine was a source of comfort, but there was nothing comforting about the mission he and his crew were undertaking, nor the news he was about to deliver. He arrived at the center of the corridor and knocked on the only door that displayed Chinese characters in gold. A weary voice answered.
3: Enter. Captain, we have entered the Leviathan Zone and are 200 kilometers from the target. All bracing clamps are operating within normal parameters. Although overhead clamps four and five are showing some signs of fatigue. Has there been any indication we've been detected? No, sir. We passed a Virginia-class submarine a few hours ago, but I don't believe we were detected. We also passed several sonar arrays, but they could not have made contact with us at our depth. We... We are alone, sir. Good. Captain? Yes? How will the immortals know who we are? They will
4: know us by our deeds, Lieutenant. I understand. Shall I initiate the deployment systems check? Not yet. We will need to clear the Palau Trench
3: first. But that won't be for a few hours. Then we will wait a few hours. Yes, sir. I understand. But... If there is any malfunction in the release mechanism, the ship will be torn- I understand that. But I will not conduct an extremely
4: loud systems check while performing tight maneuvers in one of the narrowest channels in the ocean. Our engineers have designed the ballast to clear the canyon walls by only 50 feet on each side in some sections. If we are detected by our enemies while conducting a systems check, we will be trapped in the trenches with no ability to maneuver or escape. Need I remind you, Lieutenant, that this is a stealth mission above all else. We have been running slowly and at great depth and at great risk for the past three weeks. I won't have that jeopardized. Our failure to complete our mission could be catastrophic. No. we will conduct the final systems check when we have reached the target. That way, if we
3: are detected,
4: at least we will be in deployment position. But, sir,
3: that will greatly extend our time at the target zone. We will be risking detection, and especially the dangerous exposure you to- You have your orders, Lieutenant. Yes, Captain. I will. Captain, what was that? Quickly, get to the control room.
5: hard contact on the starboard side.
3: The ballast or the cargo?
5: The ballast. The impact came from the top side of the ship. I'm running a diagnostic test of our navigation to see if we're off course.
3: I'm showing a slight loss of pressure in the ballast. How much? Ballast inflation stands at 96% and dropping slightly. Then initiate an emergency infusion of hydrogen gas in order to- The ship's AI automatically engaged the re-inflation pumps when we started losing ballast pressure. But Captain, it's not compensating fast enough. We're not keeping pace with the loss of hydrogen pressure. If our ballast pressure drops below 70%, we will lose neutral buoyancy and begin sinking.
5: How long until we... Re- I... i already
3: calculated. Four hours at most, if the tear of the ballast doesn't widen. And our position? At our current speed, we are still at least 150 kilometers south of the target. Captain... Four hours. We're already running close to our ship's crushed
4: depth. We couldn't survive that long, being negatively buoyant. Lieutenant
3: what is our current depth? 18,000 feet and hold it, sir.
2: The words hung in the stale air of the bridge. 18,000 feet. The most aggressive Seawolf-class nuclear submarines operate at a maximum depth of under 2,000 feet. Rescue submarines, like the Mystic, have been tested to a mere 5,000 feet. Even the Alvin, the famed research vessel that discovered the Titanic, could only dive to 15,000 feet and then only for a few hours. The crew of the hai Shi had been at extraordinary depth for weeks now, and they were only hours from completing their mission.
4: Yomensok, what if we activated the ionic turbines and brought them to maximum thrust? Calculate our time
5: to target. Sir, our, our acoustic signature will go off the charts. The ionic turbines are louder than a commercial aircraft taking off. They were designed for brief use for our ship to escape after the release of the cargo. We've been running on our induction jets, which are quieter than riding a bicycle. By suddenly activating the turbines, our presence will be known to every
3: vessel in a 500-mile radius. We could more than double our velocity, but... but At that speed, we could never navigate the tight canyons of the Palau Trench. The ship's navigation computer has been calibrated at our current cruising speed using the induction jets. We would surely collide with the canyon walls. I agree. We will have to rise above the canyon
5: walls before opening full throttle. Sir, the leak we have sustained has already compromised our sonar profile. Taking us to full speed will make us even more detectable. With our cargo at that speed, the ballast will cavitate wildly. Our only protection thus far has been our death, but if we rise out of the canyons, we will lose that as well. Also, the coupling braces on the ballast and the cargo have not been tested to withstand the stress of such speed. Sir, to be quite honest, nothing this big has ever moved that fast underwater. I understand the risks, but we have no choice if we
4: want to complete the mission. At full speed, we could reach the target in less than three hours, and deploy the cargo. We could reach Leviathan before any ships that detect us are able to catch up. After deployment, we will deal with the consequences of our action at that time. No doubt we will have attracted a significant amount of attention from all patrolling submarine vessels. Many of them will prove hostile. We will use every countermeasure at our disposal to ensure our survival and the completion of the Leviathan mission. Yes, sir. sir. Very well. Yom take us to 7,000 feet, and when we have cleared the canyons, shut down electric hydro propulsion. Activate the ionic turbine engines. Full thrust! Aye, Captain.
2: One hour later, 300 miles east of Guam, the SSN Dakota lay 600 feet below the turbulent surface of the Philippine Sea. The submarine was finishing its three-month patrol and beginning the final leg of her journey to home port in Pearl Harbor. However, its western heading had been brought to an abrupt halt by the all-stock command given by the ship's ex-o Matthew Banks. When the 370-foot-long Virginia-class submarine reached a standstill, he called for the captain to join him in the sonar room something extraordinary had been reported captain jim mccormick entered the soundproofed room deep inside the dakota and joined xo banks and sonar operation officer eric kilo
6: please tell me you brought my ship to a complete stop on the chinese doorstep for a very very good reason i think so captain
7: mr kilo why don't you brief the captain on your findings
8: Well, about two hours ago, the Dakota passed over the Palau Trench. I was getting the usual crunching and typical background noise in this part of the ocean, but then I started to pick up some fairly low-level feedback, pretty ordinary in nature below 15 hertz. We get that sort of feedback all the time. It's usually organic, or the Dakota's own echo feedback off the ocean floor. That's true, but usually we get a drop-off in the acoustic signature of organics when we pass over the deep trenches. The ocean floor is over 20,000 feet deep at the Palau Trench. No echo of ours would be reflected at that depth.
6: Maybe it was a passing school of shrimp or squid that we're feeding. We've heard schools as
8: deep as 10,000 feet. That's true, Captain. And I wasn't going to give it much more thought until I heard this. What was that? That's when Mr. Kilo called me. What's most interesting about this is that high-pitched bubbling sound. I've never heard anything like it.
7: I thought it could be a black smoker
8: or a thermal vent. Well, we thought that might be the case as well, but as we listened longer, we started picking up variations in the wavelength of the sound
7: It was moving. Exactly. So we decided it was worth utilizing our lighter laser resonance system to see if we could pick up anything on imaging. Typically, we've only used it at much closer distances. It's not really designed to produce images at such a great distance. Did we get anything? It's very rough, but take a look at this. It looks like some sort of mountain range. Yeah, but the problem is that it's located where
6: we usually see the deepest part of the Earth's ocean. Uh, Mr. Kilo, you realize you're showing me a mountain range jumping out of the seafloor where there's supposed to be a canyon 20,000 feet deep? <laughs> Captain, I- I'm not sure you understand. This is a time lapse image.
7: What are you
8: showing me? Captain McCormick, I'm showing you a 700 foot high mountain that's moving 40 miles an hour underwater and it's headed straight for the Mariana Trench. And it's making a lot of noise.
2: Back on the Highten Shi.
4: Lieutenant Shun, what is our position? We have reached the Mariana Trench. Very well. Deactivate the ionic turbines and resume quiet running on induction jets. Yes, Captain. What are you reading for the ocean depth? I'm reading over 34,000 feet. Good. We can begin our descent into the trench. Yeoman saw so,
5: what is the condition of the ballast? I'm reading 68% inflated. We're sinking. I think the tear in the ballast has widened because of the turbulence caused by our speed. Now I've been trying to use the turbine's vector propulsion to compensate for our negative buoyancy. It's helped a little bit. But Captain, now that we're relying on the induction jets, the high-tech chi will continue to sink until we deploy the cargo.
4: Understood. We need to move quickly. Lieutenant
3: Shun, initiate the deployment system. Check. Captain, I'm showing enemy activity. An American submarine by the sound of it. Virginia class. The position is 5,500 feet above. They're using active sonar. They've got a lot in our position. What are your orders, Captain? Captain, they can't know about Leviathan if they discover- Dive!
4: Get us below 15,000 feet. If we get below the abysmal plane,
3: the trench will narrow and we might
4: be able to hide under one of the overhangs Sir, I'm we... not
3: sure we will have time. As we dive deeper, the pressure is expelling more and more gas out of the ballast. We are approaching 60% inflation. We won't be able to hold our position until we deploy the cargo. We will sink right past any overhangs.
5: Are the Americans following our descent? The Virginia class subs are some of the most advanced in the American fleet. But our intelligence has indicated that their maximum observed depth at only 1800 feet. They cannot follow us.
3: What is that sound? It? It's the cargo! It's activating! But the captain didn't give the order! How can that be? We haven't run a complete systems check yet! We
4: don't have It doesn't matter now! Blow the couplings! I want the cargo deployed now! And release the ballast!
5: Do it manually if you have to! We must deliver the cargo! Captain, I think we're getting a malfunction! The controls are not responding, I can't get anything to work! What is the problem, Sol? I've got engine control, but no maneuvering capability! Yeah, I'm getting bizarre readings on sonar and sensors. Depth is 15,000 feet and falling. Deploy. Release all packages now. It must be done simultaneously, otherwise the ship will be pulled apart. I'm trying, Captain. I'm gonna go to manual and activate the emergency charges on the coupling braces. It's going to damage the turbines, but I might get a release.
3: 16,000 feet!
5: We're losing altitude. We're listing off to port, and our nose is dropping. Blow those charges! 17,000 feet! That is balanced this way and floating up. I can't verify cargo status. I'm checking, checking. Nineteen
3: thousand feet. We must still have the cargo attached. It hasn't been. I'm destroyed. sure all coupling braces are blown. That can't be. We must still be connected to the cargo. It's dragging
4: us into the abyss. We're
5: diving too deep. Gotta to veer into the canyon walls to
4: slow our descent. Full upright vector on the turbines. Activate emergency ascent. If we are still connected to the cargo, maybe we can shake our way free. Twenty-one
5: thousand feet! We're hitting crush depth! Sir, the turbines are inactive. I can't get any of the controls to respond, Captain. The ship's fire functions are stuck in some sort of diagnostic mode. I, I'm still getting crazy sensor readings. The water temperature is approaching
3: boiling! Twenty-four thousand feet! I'm getting hull breaches in the engine and aft compartment. all hatches. give me weapons control.
6: What is the status of our
7: target, Mr. Banks? Sir, they just dropped into the Mariana Trench. I'd say they're about 5,000 feet below us and descending fast. But, uh, we're gonna lose them as they drop deep into the trench. The tight canyon walls are giving us a lot of interference. I'm- I'm getting a lot of feedback. I
6: can't tell if it's- Alright, I want a full active sonar on the target. I don't care if the whole Pacific Rim knows that we're here. We are not losing our target. I want to know what this thing is and what it's capable of.
8: Sir, getting active sonar readings confirmed subject is directly below us at, at, Christ, 8,000 feet falling fast.
6: Jesus, there's no way that thing, whatever it is, can dive so deep so fast. It's like it's being pulled down. We've got to find out all we can about it. Let's get an updated LiDAR reading and see if we can't get some sort of laser imaging on this, this phenomenon.
8: Sir, I'm getting a huge change in the acoustic signature I'm reading. What do you mean? Well, you know, at first I was reading this massive turbine sound. Like an aircraft engine, but, but at a much higher pitch. Well now, as soon as our mountain ship, or whatever it is, reached the Mariana, its acoustic signature changed into a barely detectable induction sound, similar to some of our experimental prototype engines.
7: Uh, sir, that means whatever this thing is, it has multiple means of propulsion. It can go faster and deeper than we can, and somebody's controlling it.
8: Whatever it is, it's gone silent, sir. I'm having trouble getting any reading.
6: Max, what do you make of this thing? I think it's manned or remote? I don't know, Captain.
7: I've never heard of anything this big underwater. It was screaming, doing almost 40 miles an hour underwater, lighting up every sonar array from Hanoi to Hawaii. This thing
6: was in a huge hurry to get somewhere, and that somewhere is deep. I know, I know. It's gotta be banned. We just got word from the farm that satellite imaging is showing no visible topside support. There's a brain inside this thing. I know it.
8: Sir, it just dropped below
6: 10,000 feet. I want imaging. What does this thing look like? I'm getting something,
7: sir. My god, look at the ship on the screen, Captain. I'm increasing the gain to hone this in. What the hell are we looking at? This is this image magnified looking straight down. It it looks spherical or oval in nature. Jesus, it's
8: enormous! I've got 12,000 feet falling, sir.
6: My god, it's it's like a skyscraper on its side. It's huge. Wait, Captain, there's more. Look, look at these electromagnetic
7: scans. It's... It's almost like there are three completely different power systems down there. The first and the largest one seems mainly inert, the second much smaller one below it seems to be concentrated but fluctuating, and this last one, well, I, I can't make head or tails of it. Beats a hell out
8: of me, Matt. 15,000 feet, sir. Mr. Keeler, make sure that- Captain, I've got explosions, could be some sort of depth charges. Five. No, six of them. They're coming from the vessel.
6: Quick, I want torpedo tubes one and two loaded with Mark 48s. I want depth charges in tubes three and four now. Lieutenant Kilo,
8: what is our distance to target? I'm... I'm showing its depth at 20,000 feet. No way, Captain, I'm not. I'm getting multiple Please. readings. I... I can't... Captain, we've got a bigger problem. Something huge is headed right
7: for us. Something from below. I think the vessel could be trying to ram us. What do you see? The giant
6: sphere. It's, it's heading right towards us. It's, it's shooting straight up. Get us the hell out of here. I want all ballasts cleared, full throttle starboard. We're getting the hell out of the way. Move, people.
7: Captain, the controls are acting weird. They're...
6: They're sluggish.
7: I'm not getting full power. Target is closing. Now within 7,000 feet of us, and accelerating. That can't be. I, I'm still showing electromagnetic activity at 25,000 feet. Target within 5,000 feet. It's growing larger, sir. If that thing hits us, it's gonna knock us end over end. Fire
6: torpedoes one and two. Launch all countermeasures. Torpedo one is target acquired. So does torpedo two. They're both locked, sir. Target within 2,000 feet, sir. Brace for impact.
8: Market destroyed, sir.
7: Report. What is our damage? Structural damage is negligible, sir. But most of our sensors are blacked out. That explosion has our ears ringing. I'm looking at a complete audio overload. We're gonna have to recalibrate and reboot our sensor array. Whatever that thing was, it was like a thunderbolt shot off right next to our eardrums.
6: Come on, whatever you can give me. I want a full scan of the area, lidar, sonar, everything.
8: Captain, I've got nothing. That's right, sir. I'm not showing any sensor readings on anything left operating. Whatever hit us, we're alone, sir.
2: Alone? Langley, Virginia. One year later. The autumnal winds that blew through the CIA campus were growing colder as October faded away. Scarlet leaves speckled the rich green lawn that covered most of the modern grounds, Two white stone arches filled with aquamarine glass flanked the long central entrance hall that all employees entered to begin the extensive identity verification protocols that were part of everyday life at the farm. On that Saturday, deep in the southern annex of the CIA headquarters, a 33-year-old man named Whit Roberts was walking down a sterile hallway that lay more than half a mile underground. He stood about five foot 10, with straight brown hair that was side-parted and combed neatly over his ears. His eyes were a sharp hazel, and his medium build seemed to fill out the casual forest green polo shirt that he wore with his Banana Republic jeans. Indeed, he had been told it was his perfectly nondescript looks that made him so perfectly suited for field work at the company. He wondered if that's why he received the call twelve months ago to come down to this hallway. A great deal had changed for Wit Roberts in the last 12 months. What made the hallway deep below the southern annex so unusual was that there were over 20 sets of jet black doors in perfect formation on both sides of the hallway. The floors of the hallway were nondescript white linoleum that caused Witt's penny loafers to echo sharply against the glaring, glistening white walls of the hallway. None of the doors had any markings or any nomenclature of any kind. They were sterile lifeless and black. The hallway was straight and perfectly rectangular, with a stainless steel elevator through which Wit had exited on one end and a white wall on the far end. Wit had heard whispers about the mythical Black Door Group but never suspected that it actually existed. Certainly no one who worked in his area ever spoke of it and it was rumored that not even those who worked behind one of the doors knew the nature of the operations conducted behind the other doors. Boxes within boxes, Wit thought. Never at any time when he visited the Black Door Group did he ever see another soul. Never. He hadn't been asked to actually become a part of the Black Door Group, but his boss's boss's sector head had called Wit into his office for the first time after nine years with the CIA to inform him that he should lend his assistance to a Mr. Jason Sterling when, and if called upon, Any information and conversation would be given top secret security status and considered compartmentalized between the two of them. Any such assistance Witt provided was not intended to represent any sizable increase in his current workload, and Witt should speak up if it did in any way interfere with his current duties as a third world cryptographer and monitoring agent. Anything Jason Sterling asked for was to take the utmost precedence. It was, in short, the most unusual conversation that Witt had ever had in the CIA. His work for the mysterious Jason Sterling began with a phone call 12 months ago as a request for the name of the Egyptian telecommunication company used in the construction of the US Embassy in Cairo. This wasn't Witt's area of expertise, but he knew how to get the information. This person, this Jason Sterling, on the other end of the telephone line seemed curt but very grateful and complimentary of his work, and then promptly disappeared for three months. In the weeks that followed, Witt received more unusual and seemingly unrelated information requests. These requests necessitated increasingly deeper levels of investigation into various intelligence databases throughout the government and civilian realms. Despite his increased level of activity with Sterling, his official jobs workflow seemed to miraculously lighten as if he was being silently time-managed. And much as conducting research for the Black Door Group was flattering to Wit, he harbored no illusions that he was any member of a privileged circle. In fact, it made him feel even more isolated within the CIA because his day job had stagnated quickly and his night job and all work associated with it were kept secret from all others. Wit counted 12 doors on his right and then found himself taking a deep breath before knocking twice.
9: Come in. Hello, Jason. Well, Mr. Wit Roberts, thank you for coming in on a Saturday. Well, I knew if you were here...
10: <laughs> well, you're always here, Jason, that you'd want to know the results of some of my research
9: as soon as possible. I appreciate that, Wit. You know your work has been very important to the Black Door Group and this project. I know how hard you've been working on this. And I'm sure it has been taking time away from your other responsibilities.
10: I hope I've made it clear that I consider Black Door to be my highest priority. You have. (laughs) You have. And you are a loyal soldier. And I do appreciate it. I try, sir.
9: But as you correctly assumed, I would like to know the results of your inquiries. I'm sure you don't want me to wait much longer. No, no. Of course not. What did you find? The Dakota. What have you been able to discover?
10: Well, as you know, all the files regarding the Dakota's incident have been classified and sealed through the Navy's Wartime Secrecy Act. All of my inquiries as to why a routine patrol mission with no special forces on board would be wrapped into a Wartime Secrecy Act have met with a lot of unanswered emails and voicemails. Not many
9: of the original crew are left Wait, well, I appreciate your thoroughness in this investigation, but I'm quite aware of the history of the SSN Dakota's documentation.
10: I realize that, Jason. But one of the crew members I was able to locate was a Lieutenant Kilo. I found him at a medical facility called St. Augustus outside of San Antonio. Cancer? No. Contrary to our speculation, very few of the crew developed any kind of cancer. In fact, the few that did represent a statistical minority compared to the general military population. They seem to be even healthier. In fact- Then
9: what was the cause
10: of hospitalization? Voices. He was complaining of hearing voices inside his head. St. Augustus is best known for its neurological department. He hasn't been committed to the clinic, but he visits almost every day and meets with Dr. Conrad Lordovic, chief neurologist. Every so often he spends the night or odd weekend for observations, when his symptoms are particularly active.
9: What else do we know about our Lieutenant Kilo?
10: He likes tequila.
9: (laughs) I'm listening.
10: Well, after calling upon the services of a private investigator that I've used in the past for matters like these. I was able to establish a pattern for Lieutenant Kilo's comings and goings. One of his weekly goings was a bar called the Blue Iguana on St. Hedwig Street. Wednesdays are his favorite night. So, after repackaging several bottles of Eraduro Respado, I explained to the owner that I was a sales rep for a new line of premium tequila from Guadalajara and that I'd like to give free samples of our exciting new tequila to some of his esteemed patrons.
9: On Wednesday night?
10: On Wednesday night. After making sure that Lieutenant Kilo received the majority of my attention, he started opening up a bit more about his past. It also didn't hurt that his particular glass may have found a small bit of sodium amidol at the bottom. He told me that he used to be a sonar operator on a Virginia-class submarine called the Dakota. He had been a commissioned officer for over eight years and missed it very much. He said he wasn't doing much these days anymore.
9: Wit, you are good. I'm sure you asked him why someone who liked his job so much decided to leave the military.
10: Naturally. He explained that after returning from his last tour, he was asked for his choice of assignment. The Dakota was going to be retrofitted with new sonar upgrades and would be assigned a new crew upon completion. The Dakota was a state-of-the-art submarine. It left Groton less than
9: 20 months before its Pacific tour.
10: Lieutenant Kilo thought it was unusual too, although not unheard of. Plenty of subs he served on went in for two to three week minor repairs and upgrade work while they resupply after a tour several months long.
9: And how long has the Dakota been in the shop?
10: Almost 12 months now. But here's the rub. I can't find any work orders in Pearl Harbor regarding the SSN Dakota. Its status is listed in repair with no completion date. It gets creepier. I use my CIA security clearance to log into subnet to procure a shipment of first aid kits to be delivered to the Dakota. When I try to process the order... The computer had no record of the Dakota residing in Pearl Harbor.
9: That's illegal to be hacking other branches of the military. I had to know. And just where does subnet list the location of our mystery vessel?
10: Classified assignment. Location unavailable. My
9: hacking skills seem to have reached their limit in scope. Where do you think the SSN Dakota has been hiding?
10: I've got some theories.
9: Let's get back to our Lieutenant Kilo.
10: Well... He said he wanted to continue serving on the Dakota under Captain McCormick. His request was denied. He got offered tours on several Ohio-class subs. He turned them down because he wanted to get back on the Dakota. He thought if he waited for the repairs to be completed that he would get reassigned to her. Well, it seems he waited too long and got assigned to a supervisory desk job in San Diego. Three months after he arrived, he started to hear the voices.
9: What were the voices saying? Come home. I
10: beg your pardon? He said the voices he hears aren't in a language he understands, but he can feel the meaning in the words. Actually, he says it's more song-like than words, but he seems sure
9: that the meaning was come home. So he quit the Navy to come back to his hometown of San Antonio? Apparently. Well, it's clear to me that Lt. Kilo has led a fascinating life, but how is this tying into the Dakota?
10: Well, I asked what was so special about the Dakota. He said that when you've been through real combat on a ship, you feel connected to it, that it looks out for you as you look out for it. I played dumb and I told him that I wasn't aware of any submarine combat that had occurred in the last few years. He told me I had no idea what went on below the surface of the sea, that once you're a few hundred feet underwater, you're isolated from the scrutiny of the rest of the world. Then he got really agitated and kept telling me, we don't even know what's down there, we can't go that deep, and on and on. What did you say? I poured more tequila. Again, I was trying to play Colombo and I told him that I thought our submarines could go anywhere in the ocean. Then he just started laughing. He told me that the deepest publicly acknowledged depth of US attack submarines was around a thousand feet. But then he added that certain submarines could go much deeper. I said, like research subs? Then he started shaking his head no. He said on his last mission, he heard some things he couldn't believe. He says the Dakota was attacked by a submarine that was well below 10,000 feet. He thought it was using a highly advanced propulsion system that only us and the Chinese have been developing. They fired on us, and we fired on them. Then he said he heard the loudest explosion he'd ever heard. He says he lost over 70% of the hearing in his left ear as a result. The Dakota fired its torpedoes and annihilated whatever it hit. But whatever they hit was not the only thing in the water.
9: The official report indicated that the Chinese sub was destroyed.
10: It very well might have been, but not by the torpedo launched by the Dakota. Make no mistake, the Dakota hit something. Something huge. But for over two minutes after the explosion, the ship had a complete sensor blackout from the explosion. But when the Dakota was tracking its prey from the Palau to the Marianas Trench, it called back to Navy and CIA intelligence to verify whether or not there was any topside support for something that deep. An AWACS radar plane scrambled from Guam. It didn't show any surface ships in the area, which meant the Chinese sub was acting on its own. Fine. No, it's not fine. See, here's what doesn't add up. After both the Dakota's torpedoes made contact, after the explosion, the radar plane picked up a very faint signal. It's a repeating beacon at a very high frequency. What are you saying? I'm saying it shouldn't exist. Whatever this thing was, it was annihilated at point-blank range by two Mark 48 torpedoes. The payload on just one is enough to punch a hole through an aircraft carrier.
9: That could have been black box debris, an intact fragment of the communications array floating down.
10: That's a possibility, but take a look at this. This is an echogram of the signal that was sent out at the time of the explosion. The sonar profile looks pretty basic and repetitive.
9: A basic automated distress signal.
10: Exactly, which would support your idea that we're just listening to a piece of communications debris that survived the impact of the Dakota's torpedoes. But now, look at this. The Dakota fired its torpedo at 3.03 a.m. October 24th. At 3.04, the AWACS plane starts picking up this repetitive signal. The timestamp on this next page is
9: 3.05 a.m. This page is blank, so no profile is empty.
10: According to the official records, at 3.05, AWACS radar plane 425 experienced a momentary ion storm, probably related to a solar flare.
9: A solar flare? At 3.05 in the morning.
10: I was skeptical too, so I did a bit more digging.
9: Let me guess.
10: NASA. NASA. Cracking their systems was like hacking a cell phone. I dug into the main NASA database and got the log record of the Helios 4 advanced geosynchronous satellite which monitors all solar activity.
9: Let me guess, there was no ion storm?
10: No, there was, it just didn't come from our sun. Explain. The Helios 4 was hit with an unprecedented radiation surge, but there was no corresponding visual record or pickup in solar wind activity by any other satellite at that time. The radiation that hit the Helios came from somewhere else. What kind of radiation? That's the thing. If I had to guess, I would say gamma or cosmic radiation. But I'm not sure we've ever seen something like that before. How so? Well, look. Radiation is just another form of light, right? Its waveform dictates how damaging it can be. The dangerous or ionizing radiation is usually UV or X-ray type exposure. But as the wavelength shortens, we start to get into the territory of cosmic and gamma rays, a much more intense form of radiation, usually associated with a nuclear detonation. But this... This is a much higher frequency than anything we've ever seen. For example, standard gamma radiation can penetrate maybe a foot or so through solid lead. Whatever this is, its frequency is so high it could probably go for a half mile or so.
9: But is it possible that it could be generated by a type of nuclear detonation on Earth? Some sort of test, perhaps?
10: I don't know, but, but look at this. It's the sonar echogram at 3.06 that morning.
9: It's the same transponder signal.
10: No. Look what happens when we compare the signal before and after the radiation burst. It shifted. Exactly. Jesus
9: Christ, that's a hell of a callback. What do you mean? Nothing. That's excellent work, Wick. Let's pick this up on Monday.
10: Jason, what do you think happened down there?
9: Let's just say that I think we need to continue to monitor our Chinese counterpart's submarine activity and nuclear weapon development very closely from now on. You think it's some sort
10: of advanced weapons testing by the Chinese?
9: I think we will have to continue our vigilance.
10: Well, that's all the information I've been able to come up with after my all-night vigil. I'm gonna head back
9: to my apartment now for some shut-eye. I think that's a wise idea. This is really excellent work, Wit. Your training has exceeded my expectations. Thank you, Jason. I'd better get going. Oh, and Wit, I have some good news for you. Oh? What's that? I'm looking forward to you spending more time with the Black Door Group. I'm uh, not sure I follow. When you return to your desk, as you log in, you'll find your security clearance has been raised to TSSCI level. Your pay grade has been adjusted accordingly as well.
10: Top secret? Jason, that's almost White House
9: level clearance. I know. I just think it will be more helpful in your new role. And what role is that? Reporting to me directly from now on.
10: Wow, I don't know what to say. Let me
9: also be clear that I want you to continue your work in the cryptography department. You'll have the same routines and continue at the same job unless told otherwise. You will be spending more time in the field, and your absences will be explained by the request from senior officials that you are conducting training seminars on the latest advancements in cryptography to our new recruits and other members of our intelligence community. So this is a promotion? Let's just consider it, uh formalization of your priorities. Your new security designation should give you clearance to a great deal more information than you're used to. It should add to your already considerable information retrieval skills, not to mention your ability in the field. Really, Wit, I've been very impressed at what you've been able to uncover. Well, thank you. I'll do my best for you, sir. Oh, I know you will.
10: Jason, I wasn't going to say anything, and I don't want to overstep my bounds, but... I have a crazy theory. I think I can find the location of the Dakota. Whatever happened down there, someone went to a lot of trouble to hide any evidence of it. I
9: appreciate your initiative, but I think we'll let the Dakota lie where it is right now. Wherever it is, it's clearly not going anywhere and seems to be safe from prying eyes for now. No, no, I've got a different field assignment for you. How do you feel about New York City?
2: The Leviathan Chronicles by Christoph Leputka. For more episodes and information, log on to www.leviathanchronicles.com. For more updates and news, find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for supporting us, and thank you for listening. The Fable and Folly
0: Network, where fiction producers flourish. Hey, I'm Brooke. My friends and I perform spooky stories on our podcast, Thirteen. 13 is a movie for your ears with immersive sound design and music from our composer. And we're not reading you the same old ghost stories from Reddit. With original stories from our in-house writers and submissions from up-and-coming authors, 13 will make you smile, break your heart, and have you wishing for a nightlight atmospheric slow burn always spooky and sometimes sexy our friends are some of the best voice actors and writers in our little corner of the podcast industry so if you want to find out why those figures in black keep meeting by the water just before dawn why you should never sleep in a room with an empty chair or why you hear faint music echoing from the abandoned mall join us by following 13 wherever you're listening right now. That's 13, the word, not the number, all spelled out. Bridget Howard keeps asking for my teeth. Wherever you get your podcasts.